paused after our 30-minute conversation to think about what this washing is and what makes me happy. What makes the children of God happy? Oh, a nice bit of brief time talking about what it was to be frail and to be weak and for our flesh to be a place of all sorts of troubles and infirmities. And then we spent the next 29 and a half minutes talking about the Lord and his glories and his mercy in our lives. And that's what it is to wash each other's feet, isn't it? If people want to go around washing other people's feet, I can't complain about it. But I, as I said last week, this is, this is a picture of preaching the gospel to each other. It's a picture of reminding us again and again and again of who our God is and the fact, as we read in Psalm 115, our God reigns. Our God reigns supremely. Our God reigns infinitely. The command of God to his servants is, you comfort, Isaiah 40 verse 1, you comfort my people. You comfort them. Saith your God, you speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. For all of her sins we have received, the children of God have received the glorious righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. For all of our sin we've had those sins washed away completely. That's what the word double means. It's all your sins are laid out and they're covered over. It means to be doubled over. They're gone. I need, as a sinner, I need to hear again and again. And what's the cry of the child of God in verse 6 of Isaiah 40? The voice said, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Then he says, all flesh is grass. All of it. Every single last bit of it. All flesh and the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. That's what we cry, don't we? Our God Reigns, our God reigns. So to go on, go back to John chapter 12. Who is the foot washing for? Who's the washing for? It's only for the dirty. It's for the dirty. Who needs washing? The dirty need washing. Can you wash yourself? The dirt is the picture of sin, isn't it? It's the picture of this of what we are made, isn't it? All flesh is grass, isn't it? We are made as Adam's children from the dust of this world. I can't wash myself. That's exactly what the picture is, isn't it? There's one who does the washing. And who does the washing? The Lord. And who helps him do it? No one. He does it all by himself. It's a picture of what happened on the cross. How often do I need washing? In John chapter 12, the Lord says, Your feet... Your feet need washing. How often do your feet need washing? Every time they stand upon this earth. All the time they stand upon this earth. But how complete is his washing? 
he says, you are clean every wit. You are perfectly and completely clean. All of those who are cleaned by the Lord Jesus Christ washed in his blood. That's what the washing is a picture of, isn't it? It's a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of your favourite verses in the Bible ought to be out of Exodus chapter 11, where God says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That was the celebration that was, had been gathered in Jerusalem. God says, when I see the blood. The blood was on the doorposts of the house. That's what they were celebrating, weren't they? The blood's on the outside. You couldn't see it on the inside. The blood is on the outside. He doesn't say, when I see your faith and when I see your obedience and when I see your works and when I see your heart. He says, when I see the blood, that should cause us great, great comfort. When did he see the blood? He was the lamb side slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. God's eyes are upon his son right now. And what does he see? He sees the wounds. He sees those wounds. Oh, when I see the blood. How can I know that I have been washed? Faith is the evidence. I believe, I believe, I believe what God says about himself. I believe what God says about his washing. I believe and I'm needy. I need to be washed. I've trodden in this earth one more step and I need to be washed. I am never in a place where I'm not in need. As he said to Peter, if I don't wash you, you shall have no part with me. No part. That's a terrifying thought to the child of God, to be parted from his Lord and to have no part of the whole that he is. No part of his glory, no part of his washing in his blood, no part of the robe of his righteousness, no part of his holiness, no part of his forgiveness, no part of his inheritance, no part of his truth, no part of his love, no part of his way, no part of him bringing you into the presence of God Almighty. Rejoicing over you. Can you bear not being a part of that? I can't perish the thought. Perish the thought that we could be parted from him. He knows what we are. How can I know? I believe. I am in need. And I'm coming to him as filthy. I'm not coming to him with anything other than being in a state of being in need of being washed. We come, the children of God come, all the Father teaches will come to him. And how complete is that washing and how does he wash? If you turn with me over in your Bibles to John chapter 15, there's a wonderful verse. I remember listening to a message on this passage of scripture some time ago by someone in religion. 
And he preached a message out of John 15 about what we have to do to make ourselves clean and what we have to do to keep ourselves clean. And I don't, I don't recall it all in detail now, but I don't think he read the verse 3. He says, You, now you are clean through the word. And now Judas has gone and he's just speaking to those 11. It's the one time in his earthly ministry where he was just in the presence of believers. These represent the church, don't they? You are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. So let's look at some of the words that the Lord speaks about washing. And I want us to be reminded that in washing each other's feet, what we do is we bring the gospel to each other. I needed to hear the gospel, and Alan brought the gospel to me, and Alan needed to hear the gospel, and he, I, brought, I tried to bring the gospel to him, and we went away from our time together, even though we're separated by hundreds of kilometres, we went away rejoicing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. He speaks of husbands loving their wives in verse 25. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians 5.25, that he might sanctify it, which means to be made holy. He might sanctify set apart for God's purposes is what he's talking about. Might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it, all of this bride, all of this church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. As so men ought to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. He nourishes his church and he cherishes his church. For we are members of his body. No man ever hated his own body, especially not the Lord Jesus Christ. We are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. It's a glorious washing, isn't it? Paul in Titus, the Holy Spirit in Titus, shows us what this washing is again in Titus chapter 3, if you turn over there with me, in chapter 3. He speaks of what we were in verse 3, for we ourselves were at some times foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration 
and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shared on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So the washing speaks of regeneration. That's what he said to Nicodemus, isn't it? You must be washed. You must be born again. You must be born of water and blood. 1 John chapter 5 speaks of this again. He that came by water and blood, and even Jesus Christ, not by water, but by water and blood, he came by water and blood. Again and again throughout the scriptures, the Lord reminds us of how glorious and great and how complete is this washing. But Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says, For us, we can go back a few verses to verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. A new and living way. That means freshly sacrificed. Which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Don't you love the fact that he purifies the consciences of his people? He says he's done it. I'm aware of mine and how shameful it is. But he's our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. And this is what it is to administer this to others, isn't it? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because he is faithful that has promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. What a grace gift it is to wash one another's feet. What a grace gift from our God to have by his gift and his work in our lives to have the treasure of the gospel to be able to say to fallen, struggling, dirty sinners whose walk needs washing all the time. He's done it all, brothers and sisters. He's done it all again and again. So let's go back to our verse in John chapter 12. There are three things that he speaks of here which are just so incredibly important, especially as he links them these two he links to, to happiness, isn't it? He speaks of knowledge. If you know these things, if you know how by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ he has washed his people clean, that he has a church in this world that he came to save and he's washed all of that church in his own blood. And he is in the business, isn't he, again and again and again of presenting that church to himself holy and spotless and unblameable. 
But he's the one that's cherished his church. So it's knowledge, isn't it? If you know these things, our knowledge is a whom. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, isn't it? I know whom I have believed. And if you know whom you have believed, you'll know the what's about who he is. All of our understanding of what the world and what we call doctrine, doctrine is just teaching, isn't it? But if you know the whom, then all of the rest is easy, isn't it? Paul on the Damascus Road thought he was righteous and thought he was moral and thought he was extraordinarily knowledgeable. And he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. And all of a sudden, he knew a whom. He knew a whom. He knew intellectually about a Christ. He knew intellectually and experientially from the history of Israel about the God who is sovereign, the God who rules over all, and the God who saves. But he met him. He met him and immediately he was down in the dirt and he needed washing. For the first time in his life, he needed washing. For the first time in his life, he realised that all the washing he'd ever done in religion had just left him dirty and ignorant. And if you ask Paul about the God of the Scriptures revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, would he doubt his sovereignty? Would he doubt for a second his power to do whatever he wishes to do in this world? Would he doubt for a second his power over all flesh and all creation and all the events of all creation? Would he doubt his glory? Would he doubt his purpose in coming? God's children grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the grace, isn't it? To grow in grace is to do what? Is to grow down and grow down and grow down and grow down in our awareness of how weak and how frail we are and to grow up and up in the knowledge of how great a saviour we have. Is to to grow in the knowledge of his washing, his purpose in coming. It's to grow in the knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ came as a serpent, a servant, and he came to set an example. Does he serve you? How does he serve? Or do you think, like Paul, that we serve him? We're in need of being served all the time, brothers and sisters. We have a knowledge of him through our meeting with him. We have a knowledge of him that's proclaimed again and again in the gospel. Just look what he says in this chapter we're looking at in John 13. He says, Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and he was come from God and he went to God. Jesus knew that his hour was come, verse 1, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father. Having loved his own richer in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you have a knowledge of that? That knowledge, that knowledge is what we bring to our brothers and sisters, isn't it? So some people have knowledge without enacting it. 
in any way at all, according to this verse of scripture, they're not happy. Some people have lots of actions without knowledge, according to this verse of scripture, they are not happy. The two go hand in hand, aren't they? Knowledge and performance, knowledge and practice and action brings happiness to the children of God. Most people's happiness can be taken away from them in a heartbeat. The other thing that the Lord shows us in this passage of Scripture is that God's people find the greatest happiness in being a servant. The greatest joy in my life. You who have shared the gospel with other people, don't you love the fact when the Lord opens a door of utterance and you're able to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't it bring a rejoicing? When you go out into this world, you look around and think, may the Lord just open another door of utterance. Might there just be a person here that I could speak to them about the glory of my Saviour? Happiness. Happiness is found in knowledge of who he is and living upon that knowledge. People who seek after happiness, and this world is always talking about happiness, isn't it? I want to be happy, I want to be happy. That's not what this verse is saying, and it's not the advice of the Lord Almighty. You trust him, and you live upon that trust. And you will find a happiness. I love how Philippians talks about the joy. We share in the joy of the Lord for the joy that the Lord had set before him. For the joy. What's the joy of the Lord? Joy is much more than happiness, isn't it? It's much deeper than happiness. But for the joy that was set before him. For the joy. Let's look unto the Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do I need? I need to hear the gospel again. I need to hear how glorious the Lord Jesus Christ is. I need to hear how complete his washing is. From my brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's the conversation that brings me the greatest joy, to know that he reigns, to know that he rules. Just in closing, I'd like us to turn to one of the lovely pictures in the scriptures of someone who came to the Lord. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We wash each other's feet with the pictures of the Lord's work in the hearts of his people. In Luke chapter 7, verse 16, and I'll just quickly look at the story, but I just wanted to see how these women serve the Lord. 
and they serve us in the most glorious way by this wonderful act of loving the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. Behold, verse 27, Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, and don't you love the fact that in every situation the Lord Jesus Christ stands between the accusers and his bride, and he absorbs it all. Jesus answered, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, What a lovely, lovely picture. She was no doubt an infamous sinner, as Simon will, has attested. And he turned to the woman, and he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss for this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. This is the washing of the word, isn't it? Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. She came, that's what sinners do, she came as a sinner, dirty to the Lord. She stood at his feet behind him, she bowed down and washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of the head. She kissed him. She kissed his feet and she anointed him with ointment. The Lord said to her, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. When that lady went down the street and back 
to her people and had the opportunity to share what had happened. What do you think she said? You think she went back and said, my faith saved me. My faith has washed me clean. My faith, my faith, my faith has made my sins to go away. Or did she wash the disciples' feet and say, what a saviour, what a washing, what a Lord and what a God. And what words does he speak to wash away the sins of his people? Your sins are forgiven. Where had they gone? They were his sins. How must she have felt when he was crucified? How much she would have been encouraged to go and share and share and share the gospel. And so it doesn't matter how filthy you are, you come. It doesn't matter how dirty you are. It doesn't matter how the world sees your walk. You come. You come and bow and come and worship and come and kiss and go away in his peace. We have a glorious gospel to share with each other, don't we, brothers and sisters? What a glorious gospel. What a messed up, dirty world. And what a glorious gospel. What weak and sinful people. And what a glorious, triumphant saviour we have. What words of men bring so much disturbance. And what words from God bring so much peace. Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. May the Lord bless those words. May we know them, do them, and be found blessed. Thank you.